weeks, we've been going through this series that we called Ignite. And the whole idea of Ignite was to get us together in the same room. Now, the irony of that is just absolutely amazing to me. I'm thinking, God, what are you up to? And so last week I talked about when God doesn't make sense, stop interrupting him. Just keep listening because he's going to reveal something, a new opportunity to you. And one of the things I've learned over the past couple of weeks is that the new opportunity or one of the new opportunities that this has brought, not just to our church, but to all kinds of churches, is to finally get us to use technology better. And so I hope that you are experiencing some of this, and I hope you are beginning to leverage your social media in more positive ways. And at the end of our time today, I'm going to give you a few pieces of advice on how to use your social media in a way that I think will be beneficial moving forward. But God, for whatever reason, took us on this journey where we started by saying, let's all get together in one room, and now none of us are in this room. I mean, today is the smallest crew we've ever had doing this live stream, and so So I just want to thank you for joining us from home. We're all in this weird sort of lockdown situation, and I want you to know that God has a message for you too. God has a message for each one of us. Last week, we looked at two stories in the book of Acts to try to see what it means to really live out this life, what it means for us to really live the experience of the Holy Spirit in our lives, what it means for us to be the church even when we're not together as the church. We talked about that last week by looking at two stories, Stephen and Philip. And today, we're going to narrow the scope a little bit, and we're going to look at one story. It's a story of a guy named Ananias and a guy named Saul. Now, I'm going to frequently today, I'm going to mispronounce his name, and I'm going to say Paul, because Saul is the same, Saul is his Hebrew name, Paul is his Greek or Roman name, and we know him most in the New Testament as Paul. But the story that we come to today, he's still called Saul. Now, you need to remember, Saul was one of the people who was standing by giving approval to Stephen's death last week. We saw that. So Saul is a fellow that everybody knows is out to get the Christians, out to get the people who are following Jesus. And so we're going to pick it up. In verse 1 of chapter 9, it says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Murderous. Not just, hey, I don't like you guys, but I'm going to kill you kinds of threats. Murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Now, if you've been in church for much of your life at all, if you've heard the story of the book of Acts taught at all, you have most certainly heard this story. 
It's Saul's conversion story. It's when he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. Sometimes people even use this in the secular world to say, hey, it's my Damascus road experience, or I saw the light. If you ever heard that phrase, I saw the light, it basically comes down to this. When Paul, or Saul, saw Jesus in a vision of light, and he realized that he had been doing something wrong. And I could spend a lot of time talking about this part of the story, The problem with this part of the story is that if I spend all my time talking about this part of the story, you will miss the most important part of the story. You see, nothing that happens on the Damascus road matters if what happens next doesn't happen. The stuff that happens on the Damascus road, did you pay attention to it? Saul sees a light. He hears a voice. The voice says he's Jesus. The voice says go into the city. The voice says I will show you what you need to do, but the voice doesn't tell him what he needs to do. The voice says I'm going to, but I'm not telling you now. The voice says I will, but I won't do it now. Saul goes into the city and he spends three days eating nothing, drinking nothing because he's waiting, waiting. He's waiting for something to happen. And if what happens next doesn't happen, what happened before doesn't matter. Let me show you what happens next. In verse 10, it says, In Damascus there was a disciple. Pause. If you have your Bible, just scan backwards to verse 1. And who was Saul breathing out murderous threats against? He was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Disciples is a word that doesn't refer to just the 12. Disciple is a word that refers to anyone who is following Jesus. And Ananias, who lives way far away in Damascus, way far north, away from Jerusalem, he lives up there. He must have come down for the day of Pentecost, and then he went back home. I don't exactly know, but he is a disciple, one against whom Saul has been breathing out murderous threats. There was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered, as you would. You know, if God gives you a vision, you're like, yes, Lord, I want to hear from you. Tell me whatever you got for me. The Lord told him, go down to the house of Judas on Straight Street. Oh, Judas, I know Judas. I've been trying to get him to understand more about God for a long time. And ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. He hasn't just come with authority. He's come with an entourage. Saul came with a group of people and they were going to together arrest the Lord's disciples in Damascus. This is one of those moments where Ananias hears God say his name, Ananias. And Ananias says, yes, God, tell me what you want. And then God says, Tarsus has a guy named Saul. And uh, you need to go and meet that guy in Judas's house and, you know, tell him some things. You need to bring the message of Jesus to that guy. And Ananias is like, wait a minute. I know that name. And God says, he's seen a vision of you coming. Now, what would you do if you were in that place? What would you do if you were Ananias? (laughs) What would you do if the person who has threatened to kill you and has an entourage of people who are ready to kill you or at least arrest you, what do you do? 
if now God tells you you're supposed to go to him. Well, Ananias is justifiably nervous. And that's why he says what he says. God, don't you know this guy? God, of course, says, of course, I know who this guy is. You see, I've been a number of times asked to do something. I told you last week my story of a time when I was asked to do a spontaneous wedding, and I didn't really want to, but I took advantage of the opportunity anyway. A a lot of times we are asked to do things, and we don't want to do them. And we've got all kinds of excuses for why we don't want to do them. And one of the major excuses that we have is this question, does it have to be me? Can't it be someone else? You know, God, I know you called my name. I I know you literally said Ananias, and I said, yes, Lord, what is it? And you gave me this assignment, but come on, does it really have to be me? I mean, can't you get someone else? In churches, this happens all the time. We put out a registration desk out there for Kidopolis, and we're like, we want all of you to volunteer. And everybody in the room is like, well, maybe it doesn't have to be me. Maybe someone else will volunteer. And so then they wait, and we cajole, and we go, you know, weeks and weeks, and then we're like, okay, finally, everybody, we really need you. And then so we'll say, okay, who wants to actually come and do this thing? And we then have to coerce some people sometimes, and then we bribe them with Starbucks gift cards sometimes. But anyway, what we, we, we all take this approach. Does it have to be me? And I just want to let you know, I believe that's a smoke screen. I believe it's a total lie. I'll give you a proof of that by illustrating this. Let's assume you were not asked to bring the message of Jesus to a terrorist. Because that's what Paul was. That's what Saul was to the perspective of the Christians, the disciples. Saul was a terrorist. Let's say that God didn't ask you to bring the message to a terrorist. Let's say these words came out of God's mouth to you. God says, Jeff. And I say, okay, what? And then God says, down the street at your next door neighbor's house is Tom Hanks. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Jeff Michaels knock on the door, and bring the message of Jesus to him. What's my response going to be? Is my my response going to be, ah, but God, it's coronavirus time. I don't want to go to my neighbor's house. Is my response going to be, oh, no, God, you know, you've you've heard all kinds of things about Tom Hanks. He was was diagnosed with coronavirus a a little bit recently. Or is my response going to be, say, what? Tom Hanks is next door? Totally, I'm out the door. I'm going to be like, God, I'll talk to you later. And then I'm running next door, you know, to knock on the door to say, hey, this guy has, exp- has been expecting me for crying out loud. See, this is why I know it has nothing to do with you thinking God needs to pick someone else. And this has everything to do with who God asked you to talk to. Our hesitation is not, God, can you pick someone else? Our hesitation is, really, God, him? Our hesitation is, really, God, you want me to risk me for the sake of them? God, are they worth my risk? That's our doubt. We don't want to take the risk because we don't think that other person is worth it. Well, anyway, God, I'm going to come back to that in a little bit because I want to show you what God does to give Ananias reason to actually go. God says this in verse 15, but the Lord said to Ananias, go, 
This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Let's keep reading. Because then Ananias goes. Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. One of the amazing things about Ananias is that he gets to see immediate results. He goes to Ananias, he obeys God, he goes to Saul, he uh, tells Saul that Jesus is the one that met him on the road, he tells Saul that he can bring the Holy Spirit to Saul, Saul receives it, Saul immediately changes, he goes out and he starts proclaiming that Jesus is the Messiah. Such a dramatic, remarkable turnaround, and Ananias got to see it, and I am jealous of Ananias. I'm jealous because I have shared my faith with many people and I don't get the results like that. I've shared my faith with many people and I don't see them respond like that. And so what I see in this story is I see Ananias getting exactly what I want. But what I really see is me thinking that it all depends on the results. See, I hesitate to tell people about my faith sometimes because I'm worried about the results. I'm worried that they're not going to respond well. And so I look at Ananias, and I'm like, Ananias, he knew the results. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. You see, very clearly, when Ananias gets his answer from God of why he should go, God doesn't make him any promises about the results. Yes, Ananias got to see some remarkable results, but he didn't know the results were coming when he went. Let me take you back there. It's verse 15 and 16. The Lord said to Ananias, this is what God says to Ananias to motivate him to go. Go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Now listen. Be very clear about this. God doesn't say he will go. God doesn't say he will respond. God doesn't say, Ananias, you will be safe. God doesn't say the entourage with Saul are going to leave you alone. God does not give Ananias any of the promises that we want. What God says is, I have a plan for him. God has a plan for that guy. Really, God? Him? God says, yes. I have a plan for him. I've chosen him, and I have a plan for him. See, God says to Ananias, listen, I get to choose whom I will use. I get to make that choice, and I chose him. 
And Saul is going to have his own journey to take. On the one hand, God is saying to Saul, listen, you know what? God is saying to Ananias, listen, Saul is going to have to suffer. Saul has caused a lot of suffering and he's going to have to face a lot of suffering. But that's between me and Saul. I'm going to show that stuff to Saul. That doesn't have anything to do with you, Ananias. Your job is to do what I've asked you to do because I've chosen Saul. Now, maybe, maybe you know someone who's hard to love. Maybe you know someone who's difficult. And I just want to affirm to you that if they're still breathing, God still has a plan for them. Does that make sense? If they are still breathing, God still has a plan for them. I don't know what God's plan is. Is God's plan to save their soul? Is God's plan to draw them closer to himself? I don't know. Just a few weeks ago, I was in a hospital with a man who thought he had had a stroke. They found out it wasn't a stroke. They weren't sure what was going on. But I had a conversation with this man. And before I got there, he had a conversation with family members and said, I am ready to receive Christ. And he had never done so in his life. He was hard-hearted towards God. But in that moment, in that moment, he said, would you please invite your pastor to come here so that they could, he could come and pray with me? Because he said, I want to know God. Now listen, I don't know what the plan is for the person, but as long as they're breathing, I know God has a plan for them. Maybe you know someone who's hard to love. God has a plan for them too. I want to show you that verse again, because there's another thing hidden in that verse. Back to verse 15. The Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. You see, God has a specific plan for Saul, and that specific plan for Saul is for Saul to share this message with Gentiles, with kings, and with the nation of Israel. Get this. God doesn't just have a plan for Saul. God has a plan for even more thems. God has a plan for them. And and that means you and me. That means us. God has a plan for us too. This is amazing to me. God says to Ananias, the reason you have to talk to Saul is because Saul is going to talk to others. God says to Ananias, the reason you have to talk to Saul is because Saul has to talk to others. And he is going to talk to those other people and he's going to lead the people in Corinth to become believers. And then they're going to be all messed up. And then Saul is going to write a letter to the people in Corinth so they can get their act together. And then that letter is going to be preserved through the years. And then that letter is going to come down to people like you and like me who get to read. who get to read that Jesus is the atonement, who get to read that Jesus provides forgiveness, who get to read that love is patient and kind, who get to read that God manifests his spirit in each one of us in different ways and we are all one body. If it weren't for Ananias talking to Saul, Saul couldn't have talked to the Corinthians. The Corinthians couldn't have needed help. The letter wouldn't have been written and you and I wouldn't have heard the message. God chose Ananias because he chose Saul, because he chose the Gentiles, because he wanted you, because he wanted me. One more verse I want to show you, Acts chapter 9, but now go backwards just a little bit to verse 12. This is the third reason why Ananias was convinced to go. 
God said, in a vision, Saul has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Oh my goodness. If I were Ananias at that time, I would have been freaked out. Saul, the one who came to this town to carry disciples back to Jerusalem that they might be killed. Saul, the one breathing out murderous threats, now knows my name. God, why did you have to tell him my name? I mean, couldn't you have said some disciple is going to show up here? God, couldn't you have just said that someone is going to come and give him the message and and give him the Holy Spirit? God, couldn't you have just said someone and then you could have picked anyone else? But you told him my name. And now I have to go. Because see, here's the deal. If he doesn't go, Saul knows his name. And so he has to go because at the very least, maybe Saul will get his act together. Maybe Saul will give in to Jesus. Maybe Saul will will get the message. But if Ananias doesn't go, then Saul remains the person he was. And Ananias is now known by Saul. And it's just like, oh my goodness, God, why did you have to tell him my name? But here's the deal. God's plan for Saul included not a disciple. God's plan for Saul included a specific disciple named Ananias. And God's plan for others includes me. God's plan for others includes me. And God's plan for others includes you. It includes us. We have to be people who really give the fire of God to others. And so I want to give you some encouragement, just three things to take, four things for you to take home with you, ways that you can leverage social media and phone calls and other interactions you have with people to be a better giver of the life of the Spirit to others, to be an Ananias in some other people uh, in their lives, even if you think they're hard to love even if they're posting things to Facebook that really irritate you. Okay, so here's some advice for you. Three things. Number one, I want to encourage you to stop doing drive-by evangelism. Drive-by evangelism is the thing that happens when you drive by someone's house, you shoot them with a, a gospel bullet, and then you keep driving. You know, when, when you just drop into someone else's Facebook post and they said something that you don't agree with and you're just like, well, Jesus would say, and you're just, and it's just drive-by evangelism. You just, you just drop a, a Bible bomb on their porch and then you, you leave. Uh, drive-by evangelism. It can happen passively. It can happen aggressively. Passive drive-by evangelism is when you're wearing the gospel shirt that lets everybody know they're going to hell you know, and it's, it's a little passive aggressive, you know, you're just, you're just driving through life and you're just wearing the shirt you put on Facebook. You don't put the verse that really spoke to you that morning. You put the verse where Jesus has some judgmental statement about those Pharisees. Woe to you, teachers of the law or whatever. You know, the drive-by evangelism is the thing where you passively, sometimes aggressively, just kind of shoot out some gospel to people as if that is good news. Well, it was good news to you when you thought of it, and it goes in there. Okay, so I'm going to encourage you to stop the drive-by evangelism. That doesn't mean you stop putting things on your Facebook page. I'm going to give you some instructions on how to do that in just a little bit. But one other thing to stop is to stop doing tainted evangelism. 
tainted evangelism is when you give someone the good news of Jesus and it's couched inside, underneath, and behind a political you where Jesus is all hiding behind you and you are presenting this other thing. Now, I use the word political because some of us, politics is the thing. Some of us is complaining about something else. Uh, Some of us were just maybe talking about the news media or you're talking about some other thing and you put it out on Facebook and it builds up some discussion and it's just your own personal soapbox and you're irritated at a thing and you put it out there. And the problem with that is that if you're irritated with a thing and someone else loves the thing, then your ability to share Jesus with that person is hindered. And so if you are overtly irritated about a thing and you can't speak compassionately to this other person, then you are not able to speak about good news to that person. Because if you bring Jesus to that person, they're going to be like, oh, tell me about Jesus again. This is just one more thing that they're on. Tainted evangelism. We have to be really careful about the, the people that we are on social media. I, a couple weeks ago, I tried to get into some political commentary on my, face, on my Facebook account, but I tried as much as possible to not share my own opinions and to get other people to discuss things compassionately because here's my third piece of advice to you. It's what I hope we could all do. It's that we would begin to open doors with compassion. I want you to know something. 100% of the people who post things on Facebook that you disagree with don't disagree with the thing they posted on Facebook. 100% of the people who post things on Facebook and you can read into it that they're really emotional about it, you can read in, they put some photo on Instagram, they've got some live video on YouTube, whatever, they put it out there and you can't believe that people would go there, believe that, do that, think that. 100% of the people who believe the thing that you don't believe Believe the thing you don't believe. And 100% of the people who love the thing you hate, love the thing you hate. And 100% of the people who hate the thing you love, hate the thing you love. And I'm telling you the truth. You don't break into their world by getting stronger in your world. You break into their world the way Jesus broke into our world, with compassion. Some people are like, wait a minute, Jesus, he was a mean guy. I've got, I've got one Facebook friend who thinks Jesus would be a member of the NRA. I've got another Facebook friend who thinks that Jesus would be a, a political pundit who would be downplaying all of the things that this one particular party is doing. Or a friend who thinks that Jesus would be against that other political party. And what I see with Jesus is I see Jesus mostly going after the religious people and telling them that they're wrong. And then he hangs out with the sinners. He hangs out with the prostitutes. He hangs out with the drunkards. He hangs out with the lepers. And he's like, no, I'm going to spend time with people who need me. And I'm going to show them compassion because they're people who need a shepherd. I want to encourage you to embrace who Jesus really was. Open a door with compassion. Your friend posts something on Facebook and you think they're an idiot for doing so. So what you do is you say, wow, that must be really personal to you. Is there some time where you could share with me your story about how that became so personal to you? so that I could hear and understand you more. And then maybe a month later, you're like, hey, you know what? Remember that story? How's that going now? Or maybe, just maybe, 
when you step into compassion, you will have an open door to do this last thing. You can address a temporary fear with an eternal hope. All of your friends on Facebook right now are afraid of something. Some of them are afraid of the coronavirus. Some of them are afraid of the media representing the coronavirus. Some of them are afraid of the way the government is handling it. Some of them are afraid of the other part of the government way they're handling, handling it. Some of them are physically afraid for a friend of theirs who's got this thing. People have all kinds of fears. And I want to give you the power to address their fears with some temporary, address their temporary fears with some eternal hope. Because Jesus has given an eternal promise. And this stuff here is just temporary. So here's the deal. We need to be people who really give people life. We need to be people who really give people the fire of the Spirit of God. And no matter who they are, we need to be doing that in love for them. So let me encourage you this week to leverage your distance from people to use technology and phone calls, whatever else you might want to use, to enter into someone's world with compassion, to speak some eternal hope into their temporary fears, to let them know that you love them, that Jesus loves them, to let them know that they are not alone. And we'll be here for you too. If you need anything, please contact the church. Let us know. We're going to try our very best to make sure everybody is well taken care of during this time. And let me pray for you as we close. Lord God, we thank you for being so good to us, even in the midst of confusing times. Lord, we know that you have a plan for everybody around us. We know that you have a plan for everybody beyond the people around us, through people that we meet. And Lord, we know that you have a plan for us that includes them. I pray that you would work through us to be a blessing to others, and that as a result, our church family can be stronger and this kingdom that you are building on this earth can be stronger as well. So that Jesus could get glory. So that his name could be lifted up. So that people could experience eternity with their heavenly father. Lord, thank you for giving us this time together. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Lafayette Community Church. We are all about helping you live the life you were made to live. God made you. God loves you, and his plans for you are perfect. So if you are anywhere near Lafayette, Indiana, join us this weekend at one of our worship gatherings. And wherever you are, check us out online at lafayettecommunitychurch.com.